We give a lot of lip service to motherhood as being the hardest, most noble job in the world. But as a society, we don't back it up very well. Mom guilt is ever-present for everyone. Women who work and feel like they should be staying home. Women who do stay home and feel like they are never doing enough. Judgment comes from all over the place. Bus drivers and passers-by, judges and juries, family and friends, but also ourselves. It's no wonder that self-doubt is high when society is telling you that you are amazing, phenomenal, indispensable, but also that you are doing it all wrong, and could you please put your phone away and put a hat on that baby? It's easy then to focus on the hard things. The nights are long, the days are probably even longer, and the questions from your children, from society, from yourself, are endless. And when everyone is talking about how hard it is to be a mom, it may feel out of place, wrong even, to talk about the flip side, the bright side, the joy. You may want to hide the fact that you are sometimes so full of love that you cannot stop yourself from hugging and kissing the little butterballs you birthed, or downplay the moments in which you found strength you didn't know you had, or rediscovered that sense of wonder about the world you thought you had lost a long time ago. When we talk to our daughters about what they will be when they grow up, what do we tell them about motherhood? Do we lead with the endless tasks, or do we talk about the endless joy? If they say they want to be a mom, do we prompt them with, and what else? Or do we encourage them as wholeheartedly as if they'd said they want to be an astronaut? Do we assume that they will need something else in their lives, that motherhood will not be enough for them, or that they will not be enough for motherhood? It seems to me that there are very few women in our society who are able to say, or willing to admit, with confidence and conviction that full-time motherhood, from sunup to sunup, all day, every day, is not only exactly what they want to be doing with their lives, but also where they feel the most true, most fulfilled, and most whole. But here is one. So I'm Benta Rodriguez, and I'm the mother of Dexter, Preston, Madison, Lacey, Mason, Carter, Creed, Kennedy, Emmeline, Kent, Charlie, Whitney, Josie, Jack, and Jenna. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation, and I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Micah Heiselt. I'm co-hosting this episode with Lizzie because Benta is my older sister. And as you've already heard, she has quite a story. Uh, I always wanted to be a mom. Like that was my, you know, they ask you in school, what do you want to be? And I was always a mom. And I had in the back of my journal, I actually collected names <laughs> for my kids. And I had it all planned out of when I would have which gender and and that kind of thing. And, um, so I imagined in my, in my book, it said, I looked back at it and it said, I would have 12 children and I would have two boys and then two girls and then two boys, just so everybody would have a buddy. And how has that worked out for you? (laughs) Well, I kind of actually forgot about that plan until I just found my journal not too long ago and read it. And I was like, Oh wow. So it wasn't really a, when we look back, we hadn't, said, okay, we're going to have 15 children and then be done. But we knew we wanted a big family. We, meaning she and her husband, Todd. We were both, when we were actually the, just a few days after we were engaged, we had the talk about children and how many we're going to have. And um, we both wanted, we said it between eight and 12 and we were both okay with that. And um, we just decided that we would send them the way God would send them and we wouldn't try to stop them. And, um, and so that's just how we did things. I got pregnant with my first one 10 months after we were married. 
Um, and that was actually a good amount of time. We wanted about a year, so that was good. Um, and then after that, the farthest apart, I think two of them are 21 months apart. And then I have, um, like two sets or 21 months apart. And then I have two other sets that are 14 months apart. So it's ranges between those two. Obviously, Benta has some things going for her that many women do not. She readily acknowledges that her pregnancies are easy. Nothing horrible or difficult happens to her while she's pregnant. And the labors and deliveries are also pretty smooth. She's had one forcep delivery and one that came so quickly that she was almost born in the car. But as a whole, nothing to complain about. Not that bearing and birthing and raising 15 children is not difficult. It is hard and tiring and relentless. It takes a massive amounts of planning and patience. But, and again, this may be obvious, Bent has something else going for her. Well, two things. And they go hand in hand. Perspective and vision. Perspective about who these children are and a vision of what their family could and should be. I'll let Penta explain. We believe that before we were even born, that we lived up in heaven and that we actually got to choose our family and our children got to choose who they wanted to be siblings with when they came, when they were born. And, um, so, um, they got to pick each other. And, and so they, they knew each other before they were born. And so we've always felt like there was a certain number of children that we had promised that we would bring into our family. We didn't really know what the number was, but, um, but so that's one reason why we didn't prevent any, because I wanted to be sure that we committed that, you know, I didn't want to die. And then afterwards, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, then be like, wait a minute, where was I? And, um, but so that's, that's our view and our, our, belief that way. After we had 12, we had this feeling like that we were complete and we were done and we had, you know, fulfilled our commitment. But then we had a really strong feeling that there was a few more that if we'd be willing to have them in our family, um, that they would love to come. And so, um, we actually sat down as a family, um, not even just Todd and I, but just all the kids and everything and, um, asked and if they wanted to have some more siblings and, um, everybody was super excited. My oldest two are boys and they were about fifth, no, 16 and 14 at the time. And they were just super, super excited. So to have a teenage boy, two of them be super excited to have another baby. It was, it was good. I actually also come from a large family. I'm one of 12 kids. And I remember Benta asking me years ago how my mom knew she was done having kids. It seemed at the time like she was in a place where she might be ready to be done, and please, could she be? But all I could say was that my mom had kids until she physically couldn't anymore. I don't know if that was any help to Benta at the time, but based on our conversation, she got past that stage. I can't just come out and say, yes, I know we're done. This is it. This is all we're having. But at the same time, I'm good with being done. Like, at this point in my life... um, I'm getting older and it's getting, well, it's getting harder, not hard compared to some people at all, but it's getting harder. And as far um, as like having, like being pregnant, being pregnant and having, you know, recovery afterwards, it just takes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm okay with going on to the next phase in life and raising them and not having anyone in diapers or potty training or, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It would be okay. I'd be yeah. fine with that. So, mm-hmm. but it's it's not like you're like I just need to be done. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't feel that way at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. It's just 
it would be not, it would be good, but I think either way, mm-hmm. as long as, um, yeah, everybody would be okay with it. I still have some of my children, especially one, my 10 year old, she's like, let's have 20. <laughs> I said, go ahead. <laughs> you do that. You do that. Although it was always part of Benta's plan to be a mom and have a large family, she didn't go into her marriage thinking it was going to be super easy. She worried that she wouldn't be able to have kids at all. And, actually, the fact that it has been a fairly smooth ride has been the hard part. So, my mom, when they were first married, she was not able to get pregnant. And so, um, a little bit into it, they decided that they would adopt. And so, they adopted my older brother. And, um, well, and that she was told that she could not have children. And so, they adopted my older brother. And then, um, three years later, she ended up having me and then four more boys. So, she, you know, had a big family. But, um... So for, I guess that's re- the reason why I had that fear is that I would not be able to have children because that's one thing that I really wanted. And um, I am the type of person that if I plan on something too much and that doesn't happen, it kind of throws me off and so I have to, it takes me a while to regroup. Um, so um, that after we had the first several, I think that fear kind of went away. Um, but then um, it was kind of a, not really a fear, but the fact that I didn't have any really big issues with getting pregnant and having babies full term and that kind of thing, that became kind of um, a painful thing because so many people that I cared about deeply were having so many problems. And so, um, you know, you call your sister-in-law or whatever and go, guess what? And, and, and you find out later that she had just had a miscarriage or something like that. And, and so that happening over and over, that, that was the painful part of it. But at the same time, you know, happy. So it was this mixed, weird kind of thing. And so from about, I don't know, that's a, for a long time. Um, my oldest brother got married. Let's see probably a couple years after me, his oldest is his oldest, my second. And, um, and so from, they had their first two. And then after that, she's had problems. And so basically from then on to now, that's kind of the, been the, it's very, it's very hard for me to tell my family, we're going to have another baby because we're excited. And I know they're excited for me, but at the same time, like, it's like me, like taking a knife and stabbing, you know, it's just, anyway. Just to give you a rundown of what Benta is talking about. In addition to our older brother and sister-in-law whom she mentioned, another sister-in-law has had at least two miscarriages for each of her live births. They ended up with three biological children and one adopted. And another sister-in-law is Jody, whose pregnancy with a stillborn daughter we shared in episode four, Incompatible with Life. And then there's me, who was so devastated by the four consecutive miscarriages I had between our third and fourth kids that I had to start a podcast to process the trauma. And while we are cheering Benta on wholeheartedly, watching her have all these babies has been a trial in a different way for another family member. My grandmother, she was able to have five, and she had to have a hysterectomy after her fifth because it just just really was hard on her. And um, so I think after we had about six, um, she actually had, it was really hard for her to see me pregnant because of what she went through. 
And so she was, you know, protecting me as her granddaughter, didn't want anything to happen. And so, um, it was, it was so difficult that probably for about four, four children, maybe five, um, I actually wouldn't tell her directly that I was pregnant. I would have my mom tell her. Um, and then after that point, she just got to a point that she kind of realized, oh, wait a minute, you know, my granddaughter is not me and this is what she's supposed to do. That experience speaks so strongly to the fact that we all process other people's lives through our own lenses, and we don't always see clearly what is going on. And our grandmother wasn't the only one to have some difficulty with Benton Todd's choice to have a million children, because having a family that size is a pretty public act. It gets noticed. She goes to the store in her 15-passenger van, and everyone can see that she has a bunch of kids with her. Now, I can attest to the fact that they are well-behaved and very helpful, but I also understand why just the sight of so many children in one family could be overwhelming to some people. And people, being people, they sometimes feel the need to express their opinions. Up until I was pregnant with my 10th, I really didn't get any, you know, negative comments. I mean, little bits here and there, but nothing, you know, huge um, about having such a large family. Because up until that point, um, my oldest weren't old enough to stay home with all the younger ones, you know. So I would most of the time take all of them with me to go grocery shopping or other shopping. And um, and they were, because it was something that we did all the time, they were pretty well trained. I mean, they knew how to behave and I mean, sometimes they didn't, but um, overall. And so I would mostly get the comments, oh, are these all yours? And oh, how cute. And, you know, oh, they're so well behaved. And, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but then for some reason, when I was pregnant with my 10th, it seemed every comment I got that whole pregnancy was just negative. Like, I can't believe you're having so many. There's, you know, overpopulation. And oh my goodness, you're just crazy. And, you know, that kind of thing. And it was just like, ah, oh, it was so hard. Um, and so I would either just ignore it or, you know, oh yeah, I'm totally crazy. <laughs> or, you know, oh, we're, we have such a great time or, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I guess I knew this is what is we're supposed to do as a family. I mean, we're, we're, I'm, we're supposed to have a large family and we love each other and it's great. And so, um, they, I don't know, I guess it just kind of made me sad in a way that people would think that, mm-hmm. and it's probably comes from their own experience. I don't know, but, um, so I just kind of let it roll off the back of my shirt. Mm-hmm. But, um, but then from 11 on, then everything was back to, Oh, so wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. this is interesting. Benta had 15 kids in over 20 years. It was a huge commitment, a huge spread of time. A lot of time in which to reconsider the plan she and Todd made as starry-eyed, newly engaged young adults. I wondered if there had ever been a time in her life when she thought, this was a bad plan, let's make a new one. Especially considering the fact that she homeschools, so not only does she have 15 kids, she has all of them, all day, every day. Maybe it shouldn't have surprised me, but there wasn't. I've never, um, I don't know. I was always ready for the next one when they came and ready to add them to the chaos of our lives. And, Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'm just not that kind of person who, you know, wishes for something that we don't have. I mean, and that's not true, but, um, you know, even like with homeschooling, I have lots of friends that, you know, they, 
have had a bad day and they see the school bus go by and they're like, Oh, you know, maybe we should just put them on there. And I've never felt that way. Even on, you know, hard days, it's just kind of like, okay, tomorrow will be better. Let's go. So it's never been that way. That is, I think the second of Venta's big secrets to having a big family, letting bad days or weeks or months happen and trusting that they will get better, finding ways that they do get better. But the first big secret, according to Benta, is letting go of control. That was the biggest thing because I, I don't have control. Um, we started school, <laughs> school again um, this summer, and um, the baby was, she was about a month and a half old, something like that, month old. And um, we're sitting down and doing our thing and for an hour and at the end of the hour I kind of got up and um, the baby was crying and I walk into the kitchen and there was like milk spilled everywhere and then I walk into the dining room where the table is and um, the one-year-old had gotten hold of I can't remember what it was some sort of food item and it was just everywhere and you know they're running through the house with jam on their fingers you know kind of thing and I was like yeah. So we paused, we regrouped, got everything back to normal and that kind of thing. And I was talking to Todd and I was like, I'd forgotten. We haven't had one of these days for a long time that it was just totally out of control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, it was a reminder, I think that I'm not in control. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like my mm-hmm. kids just get to run wild cause they don't, but, um, I don't have to control every little aspect of their lives. And when they feel like I'm not trying to control every aspect of their lives, then things run smoother. I know some of you are thinking, is this real? Is Benta real? How can she be so zen, so able to let things roll off her back, so chill, when there are a dozen kids running around making messes and needing things? The short answer is yes, she is real. She is pretty zen. But remember, she's had a lot of practice with it. With 15 kids over more than 20 years... She's like the yoga instructor who makes it seem like your nose is supposed to touch your knee while you can barely reach your toes. And the yoga instructor keeps saying it just takes time and practice and you're like, whatever, this is never going to happen. But the yoga instructor knows because she has been there a long time ago. And she made it a focus of her life to open up, ground down, lift, make space, and breathe with the movement. And now it looks easy. Benta has done the same thing with motherhood. She has made it the focus of her life and dedicated herself to be aware of herself and her husband and their children and their relationships. And, as with yoga practice, she has learned that letting go sometimes works better than fighting for. Focusing on incremental improvements amid a lot of discouraging days keeps the positive momentum going. And another big question people have when they learn of Venta's family, how can they possibly give them all the attention they need? It's a concern Venta had in the beginning as well. From the very, very beginning, I was so afraid that I would not be able to give each of them the attention that they needed. And um, I have a friend who came from, I think it was 12 or 14 children, and she was one of the first six. And all she remembers from her mom is that her mom just had babies and she had no time for them. And I was like, I cannot do that. I want to have a large family, but I do not want my children to think that I'm not their mother. I'm just, you know. And so that is always a challenge. Um, and so basically we've come up with the time I just, you kind of see who needs more attention at the moment and give them that, what they need rather than a scheduled, you know, 
you get once a week and we take you out or, you know, one day a week and we take you out and one-on-one time, that kind of thing. Um, it's just who needs it at the moment. When I, my oldest was in high school, he was probably about in 10th grade. And, um, by that time, let's see, I probably had, I think there was about 12. Yeah. And I was feeling really bad that I hadn't been able to give him all the consistency of a regular school, you know, and I, most of, he was doing high school basically on his own. You know, we would talk a little bit and I would just kind of give him something and he would go do it. And, um, and I was just feeling really, really bad for a little while about that because, you know, I was pregnant so much and we just had little breaks here and there and then the baby and that took time away. And, um, and I got the strong impression that, um, because I wasn't able to be there for him all the time. He was, um, it was necessary for him to become independent learner. And that's actually my goal for my children is that they become an independent learner and they love to learn and they can do it on their own. So it, um, actually what helped him become that way. And so he doesn't rely on anybody like telling him what to do or, you know, kind of thing. So that was a blessing. Like most parents, Benta wonders if she is doing a good enough job raising her kids and if they will suffer because she can only do so much. Obviously, she has just as many hours in the day as the rest of us, and since she can't be side-by-side with each of her children all the time, she often has to teach them and hope it takes, which is so hard. Stepping back and trusting your kids with what they have been taught is tough. Right now, the hard part Benta is dealing with goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. What do we expect from our daughters? What do we teach them about what they can be? Okay, so my daughters. Um, I, I'm, you know, I could say that I could answer that a lot easier a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and just say, you know, this is what I expect them to do. But my oldest daughter, seventeen, and um, her, and actually the daughter under her, she just turned sixteen. Um, she skipped a year in school, and so both of them will be graduating this year. And so we're talking. Um, they're each very different. The younger one is very studious and, you know, she plans on college and then, and a mission for a church. And then she wants to get married and be a mom. And she's a homemaker. I mean, just everything like that is just inbred in her. Um, my oldest daughter, she is, you know, wants to be a mom and wants to, um, have a family and that kind of thing. Um, but, and, and, kind of, I have to get, I guess I have to go back a little bit. My mom, she graduated from college, um, before my, her and my dad got married. And then, um, she never worked. She stayed home. She was a stay at home mom when she had kids. Um, and then my dad died when I was 10 and I had five brothers raging from 15 or 13 down to a year and a half. And so, um, she was able with my grandparents help to stay home until my youngest brother was in school. And then when he went into school, she had to get a job and she was able because she had a college degree to get a good job that supported our family. Um, and if she had not had that college degree, she would not have been able to support us as well. She did. So although I didn't graduate from college, I went to college, but I didn't graduate. I really want my girls to at least go, um, and not, not for a career, but just because I think it's good for them. Um, it's good for them to prove that they can do something hard and that kind of thing. And so back to the original question, my oldest daughter, um, 
she's kind of talking about maybe doing something else. And so, um, I know deep down that each of my children are totally different and I want them to pursue the things that they feel are right for them. And I will support them in that. But this is the first time that what they felt they're supposed to do hasn't really matched in my head. So I'm kind of struggling with that one, but it'll be, you know, it's, and I've talked to her, you know, it's, you're, you're going to know what you need to do with your life, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I'm sure that some of my girls so far, all of them want to be moms and have mm-hmm. fairly large families. And, you know, I tell all of them that, you know, you just need to have as many children as what's right. And if you have one, then you have one. And if you have, you know, 20, then you have 20 and it's mm-hmm. just depending on what's right. So, um, but it, it kind of makes me sad thinking that maybe some of them, the ones that really want to might not be able to. And I think that is the crux of it right there. No matter what we tell our daughters, no matter what we prepare them for, no matter what choices they make on their own, there is no guarantee that it will happen. They may spend their youth gathering baby names in the back of their journal and then spend 20 years trying unsuccessfully to get pregnant. They may spend 40 years gaining enough experience to be the most qualified, experienced candidate to ever run for president and then not get elected. It is obviously important to encourage our daughters, and our sons too, to explore their interests, to find their skills, to enjoy their life, to contribute to the world. And it is hard to think that despite their best efforts, they might fail. I wonder if that is part of the reason we encourage them to think beyond motherhood. There are the practical considerations of being able to make your own way and take care of yourself, but it seems like glossing over motherhood and focusing on what career our daughters will have may add to the you-can't-have-it-all syndrome that the current generation of working mothers is feeling. Some of our children's decisions will undoubtedly cause us sleepless nights, a lot of anxiety, and frustration on their behalf. But even if what they choose isn't what we would have chosen for them, we don't need to wrinkle our noses at them or imply that they are selling themselves short. I'm reminded of that saying, whatever you are, be a good one. And I might be biased, but Benta is a good mom. She listens to her kids. She watches them and looks for those that need her help. She gives them space to learn and explore and figure things out on their own. She doesn't try to micromanage or control them. She rolls with the punches, and she is a constant, consistent, solid foundation. She sees her kids as her teachers, and she tries to learn from them every day. I think Benta is doing a great job at one of the most difficult jobs in the world. She is one of my mentors. But honestly, even I sometimes look at her family and wonder, well, I asked her. I wonder what you would say to people who, I mean, they look at your life and your home with the kids like all the time and like, you know, kind of say like, this is a very small world that you have here. And, you know, you don't really understand what it's like out in the big world. So your comment is that they would say, you know, you don't understand what it's like in the big world out there. And I would say, I don't. But I could also say to them, you don't understand what it's like in our small world. You know, it's just two different worlds. And um, not that one's better than the other or, you know, everybody just kind of does what they think they need to do. Um, But I purposely keep it small. Um, And um, I believe that our children have a responsibility to help, you know, the community and to help the world become a better place. And that, I mean, we do too, but... um, so we tend to um, shelter, for lack of a better word, um, our children when they're young and keep them close. 
and teach them, you know, who they are and what's good and bad and, um, you know, how to be a leader when they get older, that kind of thing and train them. Um, and it's kind of like a training ground. So when they do get older, they'll be ready and be strong enough to be an example to others. Um, I've seen so many times where um, children are let out to, let out, that sounds bad, but you know, they're put out too soon and they don't have um, a strong enough sense of who they are yet. And they're unable to be an example to others because they just fall into peer pressure or fall into and become the, the lowest common denominator because that's what the world does you know they try to smush everybody down um, and so I mean we purposefully do that so that they will be strong enough to be an example and to make a difference in the world um, I don't want them to be sheltered their whole lives um, they won't be I don't think in their world you can be unless you you know live out in the <laughs> 500 acres in the middle of nowhere um, kind of thing but um, I do want to make sure that they're strong enough um, and that they know who they are so that they can make a difference rather than just kind of fall in to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And this may be the last of her big secrets. I don't think I have ever heard another mother speak so clearly about the goals she has for her children and how what she is doing right now factors into that. The vision that Benta and Todd have for their children as leaders is admirable, but the fact that they take concrete steps toward that goal steps that put them on a track even more isolated than other families with lots and lots of kids, and even more than those families who homeschool. It's hard to know, of course, whether or not their strategy will work out when they are just starting to launch their birds out of the nest. It obviously takes a special woman to willingly and cheerfully take on this kind of life. I asked her what she thought about that. I think every woman is made to handle what they're supposed to handle. Um, and so we're all different because of that. And all of us need different things in our lives to fulfill us and to help us grow and to help us become, you know, the best we can be. And so in that sense, yes, I'm different. Um, but also the women who, you know, have none or one or, you know, struggle with not getting married or, you know, lots of problems having children, they're different too in their own way. And that's, you know, if we were all the same, it'd be really boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I am, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to grow and learn from each other because we'd all know each other what we're doing. When I first met Benta a day or so after Micah asked me to marry him, it was at her house in Ohio. She was pregnant with her seventh baby. There was a lot going on. Lots of kids wanting to show off for me, the new girl to play with their uncle, to vie for their mom's attention. At some point, someone got out a package of Oreos, and pretty soon there were several kids with Oreo crumbs all over them, climbing in Benta's lap, hanging on her shoulders like kids do. Todd came home from work around then and noticed that even though there was Oreo dust and drooly kids climbing on her, somehow she and her white shirt were unspotted by the mayhem. It seems pretty symbolic of Benta's way of going through the world unrumpled not only by the chaos of developing so many future upstanding citizens, but by the pressures to raise them in a certain way. Giving her daughters a clear message about the importance of being a mom is, I think, one of the things that keeps the crumbs from sticking to her. She knows who she is, she knows what she's doing, and she's not really bothered by what you think. Thanks, Benta, for sharing your story. 
Thanks to Ben Howell and Ellen Barnhart for the music. Thanks to producer Emeritus Ryan Barnhart. Thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to Valerie Best, who, I can personally attest, can carve a perfect bust of Jimmy Carter from a large yam in less than two minutes. And thanks to... Dexter. Preston. Madison. Lacey. Mason. Carter. Creed. Kennedy. Emmeline. Kent. Charlie. Whitney. Is your name Daddy? Nah. Is your name Emmeline? Nah. It's Kent. Nah. Oh, is it Dexter? Nah. What is your name? Jesse. Say Jack. Jack. <laughs> Jack. <laughs> Say Jack. Jenna. Faster, slow. Fast. Yeah. Dexter, Preston, Madison, Lacey, Mason, Carter, Candy, Charlie, Dylan, Jesse, Jack, Jenna. Dexter, Preston, Madison, Lacey, Mason, Carter, Candy, Emily, Kent, Charlie, Whitney, Jesse, Jack, Jenna. Dexter, Preston, Madison, Lacey, Mason, Carter, Candy, Emily, Kent, Charlie, Whitney, Jesse, Jack, Jenna. Dad, Mom, Dexter, Preston, Madison, Lacey, Mason, Carter, Candy, Emily, Kent, Charlie, Whitney, Jesse, Jack. Jack. Jenna. Dexter, Preston, Madison, Lacey, Mason, Carter, Candy, Emily, Kent, Charlie, Whitney, Jesse, Jack, Jenna. Then once there's some person massing, lacy, mason, garden, creek, candy, I'm like, can't tell you any just injection. Dexter, Preston, um, Lacey, Mason, Madison, um, Carter, Creed, um, Kennedy, Emma, Emmeline, uh, Clark, and, uh, uh, Charlie, Kent, yeah, wait, no. Charlie, Kent, um, Whitney, Josie, Jack, Jenna.